Galatians chapter 3. We're going to go through the entire chapter today, and I'm just going to start, go right in. Let me pray for us first. Lord, your word is beautiful. It is profound, and yet it is so simple and so clear. It's, it's complex and majestic and multifaceted, but it is beautiful and simple, God. You're not a confusing God. You are an amazing God. And it's just us that we're catching up to recognize your greatness. So God, would you reveal your greatness, the beauty of your story and your truth to us through your word today, God. And thank you for your health. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, family, I'm jumping right in to Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? All right, so really quick. Pastor Dell did such a great job preaching through chapter 1 and 2. Galatians is a very simple book. Very simple book. It's just talking about, guys, the gospel is not about works. It's about grace. And he just hits that again and again and again. But we need that. And so, again, Paul's hitting the same thing, but he does a reset. Okay? Because in the beginning, he was already crapping on them. He was saying, you know, I am astonished that you're so quickly to desert him who called you into grace in chapter 1. And he starts over again. Reset. It's like, I'm going back in again. I'm going to hit you on the head. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perf perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works of miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So that's the, that's the first part I want to talk about. Verses 1 through 5, and what he's addressing is this. So he's talking, the Apostle Paul's making the same point. He's making the same point saying, guys, it's not about works, it's about grace. And the first thing that he addresses here in chapter 3 when he's really starting to go in on his argument is saying, don't you remember? You experienced it yourselves. You experienced it yourselves. What's our very first uh, slide? Orthodoxy and orthopraxy, right? So what I'm talking about here is this. The apostle says this, I know that you guys know this. I know that you guys know the right thing. I know that you know that it's about grace in Jesus Christ, right? But then he's saying, but why are you going back to these old things? So, so he's talking about two different things. He's talking about the tension between orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy means, ortho means right, and doxa means glory, right? But it means knowledge also. So it's orthodoxy is right knowledge. It's truth. Orthodoxy is knowing the right things. If you're an orthodox person, it means you believe the right, true, correct things, all right? Orthopraxy, praxy, right, being practical practice, is you're actually how you live. Your actual behaviors and your lifestyle. To simplify it, if you can go to the next slide, it's belief and behavior. And so what Apostle Paul is saying is, guys, you know what the gospel is. You know that the gospel is that you received it by grace through Jesus Christ. You experienced it in the Holy Spirit. You guys exp literally experienced the Pentecost. You saw Jesus die. You literally saw with your own eyes Jesus die for your sins. 
And you realize, oh my gosh, he's the great sacrifice. I don't have to do anything. I can receive it. And then you, re- you experience the Holy Spirit. And so he's telling them, I know that you guys already know in your heads. But why are you going back to this old behavior? You're going back to this old behavior of the old Jewish customs, right? And he, in, verse, in verse 4, he talks about this. Why are you, you guys already suffered so much. What kind of suffering was he talking about? Apostle Paul was talking about the suffering they experienced when they converted from Judaism to Christianity. They experienced a bunch of backlash. All the Jews were pissed. Hey, why are you following Jesus? He goes against everything we believe in, right? He's, he's a false. And all these people experienced all this persecution, believing this new thing. But then now that they're living in Christianity, even though their old life was Judaism, little by little, they go back and they have these old lingering beliefs from their old way of living. Yeah, I'm not a Jew anymore. I went through persecution. I left behind my, I had this radical transformation of going from being a Jew to now being a Christian, being a follower of Moses to being a follower of Jesus. But, and now that I'm here, I believe in a different way of thinking. But give it a little bit of time. And little by little, I start going back to some of my old ways of living, my old ways of thinking, old ways of believing. And so this is what he's saying. He's like, you left this. Don't you remember? This is exactly what you left. But you're going back to your old ways of behaving. Why? Because all, you're going back to your old ways of behaving because you still have some of those lingering beliefs. You still have some of those lingering beliefs because behavior is always rooted in beliefs. Behavior is always rooted in beliefs. And so I I just need to hit on this because we like to think, oh, now I believe a new thing. Now I believe a new thing, therefore I'm different. Now I'm changed. But the hard reality is this. Just because you learn something new, the old stuff has not completely gone yet. Okay? Just because, just because you've experienced something new, you have a new thought, a new insight, a new revelation, a new truth, a new belief system that you really like, this is awesome, and you grab and you grab hold of it. Just because you've done that doesn't mean that you've done the job, the work yet, of disconnecting from the old. Right? There is a grace of God on every believer's life that for a time in their life, they experience the new, and God is gracious. Yeah, I, oh, this new stuff is so great. I really love it. I love it. But then just because there's God's grace on you doesn't mean that all the old stuff is gone yet. He's given you a grace in this period to really learn the new thing. But there comes a time in a Christian's life where the old stuff comes back up because the old beliefs are still there. They're hiding in the walls, but they're there, right? The room is now filled with the Holy Spirit, but the writing is still on the walls. You still have these old beliefs that are etched into the stone. They're, 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 they're carved into the walls. They're old things that you used to believe that even though you don't want to believe it anymore, you can't help it because it's so ingrained in how you used to live and how you used to function, right? And so the journey of believers is this. It's not just adding on new beliefs and taking on something new. It is also doing the hard work of unlearning. Repeat after me, say unlearning. unlearning. Un- I could have my whole sermon just on this, on unlearning. And man, I'm tempted to, right? I'm tempted to do it. I'm tempted to. Unlearning. What I mean by this is, man, everybody thinks this is like, first, can we all just admit 
We just gotta, we just gotta embrace the fact that there are things that you still believe in, even though you don't want to. Just take, just take a second. There's things that you still believe, even though in your head you're like, I know it's not true. But there are things in your head you still believe that because you've experienced it, you were raised in it, your parents taught it to you, your church taught it to you, you did it for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you learned the same thing again and again and again, just because you had an experience of something new. Right? We have to embrace the fact there are still things that I believe that even though I think I've moved on from it, it's still deep in here. It's still reflected in my orthopraxy. It's still, be, it's still reflected in my behaviors. Right? Like, think about this. We, we understand as Christians, we all believe, how are we transformed? We, we are transformed by the grace of God. Amen? Oh, he experiences, he gives us his unmerited, gracious forgiveness and love. He tells us that even though we've messed up, he loves us. And through that, we believe we change. Amen? Okay, and everybody's like, yeah, sure, I believe that as a Christian. But wait until you have to, like, raise kids. And all of a sudden, your old beliefs come back. How am I going to teach you how to grow? I have to, I have to hurt you. I have to give you shame. I have to tell you something's wrong with you. I have to make you feel bad. All of a sudden, these old beliefs come back. It's like, yeah, oh, I believe 100% that we change through the grace of God. Only by grace, through unconditional love, do I transform. And then you see a little kid acting bad. and be like, I'm going to smack you. Or like... You know, I have to withhold my love from you. I'm being dead serious. I have to withhold love from you or else you'll never change. Who taught you that? Who taught you that? You, we learn to believe our, our parents, and I love my parents, but there are things I need to unlearn from them. They taught it to us as truth. You know, the only way you change is if you, if you smack them around, you tell them they're a piece of crap, you tell them you don't love them, you don't tell them that, but you make them feel that way. You make them feel a little bit crappy about themselves. You make them feel like they're not good enough. Oh, I got to shame them a little bit so that they'll change, right? And all of a sudden it's like, but you just said that you believe that people are changed by grace, by the grace of God. This is what I'm talking about. It's all of a sudden when it comes to, when, when when the rubber hits the road, when it comes to real life practical situations, your old beliefs come out. Your old behaviors come out. You tell a person, someone starts growing and they start learning, man, it actually feels better to encourage people and be nice to people. It feels good to lift people up, right? And then all of a sudden they're playing sports or something and somebody, your, some of your teammate messes up and it comes out. It's like, what's wrong with you? You suck, right? And then it's like, I thought you liked encouraging people. It's like, I do. I thought, I swear I do. I like being nice. I believe in it. But it's because... As much as we don't want to admit it, it's true. We have, when old bad behavior, when behaviors pop up in your life that you don't like, that hurt people, that look ugly, that make you like cringe at yourself a little bit, it's because there are still old beliefs that you need to identify and unlearn. One more time, repeat after me, say unlearn. It is harder to unlearn than it is to learn. It is harder to unlearn than it is to learn. And the, and the grace of God, the work of transformation, the work of sanctification is God's process, not just of teaching you new things, which is an important part of, of, of growing, of discipleship, but a lot of the hard work of sanctification is God's process of unlearning, teaching you how to let go of these old things that you've held on to. All right? Let, teaching you to let go of these old things you've held on to. 
So that's what we're getting into. And Apostle Paul is looking at them and says, you experience this Holy Spirit. You experience the new covenant. You experience grace. And yet you're going back to your old behaviors, your old beliefs. What's, what's wrong with you? He's kind of harsh, right? And then he goes on and he starts bringing something up in verse 6. To make this argument, he's saying this. In verse 6, where are we? Let me repeat verse 5. He says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Right? Because you experienced it with faith. You experienced it. Like, don't you remember? You just did this. And then he, in verse 6, brings up Abraham. He says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And in verse 7, it goes, Now then, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with the Abraham, the man of faith. I want to go now into a teaching on covenant. Okay, a teaching on covenant. It's a lot smaller than I thought it was. I should have made it bigger on my slideshow. But um, on covenant. Because Apostle Paul is about to start talking about covenant, which for them, back in the day, the, the old school, in the, the, the area of Galatia, the church gathered there, they, they had a mutual understanding about covenant already. Okay? They already have a certain general framework of understanding covenant that we don't necessarily have. So I want to teach a little bit. I just think this is important because a lot of times we get into the details of teaching, but we kind of forget to teach the big picture, the framework. I had a friend who, he, uh, he liked soccer. He thought it was interesting. I mean, he was learning a little bit. And he even started learning some tricks. He, he could, like, do cool stuff with his feet and uh, all that kind of stuff. But one day, um, someone asked him, like, so what position do you play? He was like... What do you mean? And it was this weird experience. He had this weird experience of like, I was like, and one of his friends was like, don't you, like, you know, some people play defense. He's like, oh, there's different positions. He thought, he thought everyone just runs around on the field. He didn't understand the general framework of soccer. There's defenders, there's midfielders, and there's forwards, right? He, he understood the the. He, the ball, you kick it, you put it in the goal, you can do tricks. He knew enough. He knew the soccer play. He knew Ronaldo. He knew, he knew Messi. He knew the names. He knew all the little things. But he didn't understand a simple framework of how soccer actually works. There's defenders. And for him, it was mind-blowing. He's like, that's why those people never run forward, right? So all I'm saying is you can know the details of something, like some of the, some of the texture, some of the small, the names and the terms. Oh, I know what that is. I know this. I know this. But you can know that stuff without understanding some of the very essential foundational framework of things. So that's why I want to do, I think it's going to be so important, teaching on covenant, because this simple framework is going to change how we read the Bible. And I'm hoping that with a simple framework of, of covenant, we can't, it's, we can't do it justice in just one, one session, but I'm going to give you try to, a really simple framework that we can understand so much of all Scripture if we just have this framework in mind. All right? On covenant. I'm going to give an intro on covenant, and then we'll go back to the passage. Can we do that? So we're going to start with this. The the progression of covenant is this. Um, Oh, I totally skipped a part. Oh, no, I didn't. Um, So first, I want to talk about an old old school definition of justification versus today's definition of of justification. OG justification versus contemporary justification. All right? And in justification... 
And con oh, there you go, perfect. Yeah, if you ever hear me use a keyword, just to switch, all right? Justification, this is gonna be really important because today we have a certain way of understanding justification that they didn't back in the day. Back in the day, because they use justification, Apostle Paul uses it in verse six, seven, he uses the word justify a lot. But back then, when they talked about justification, they understood it in a way that meant relationally. You can't stand next to me. You can't claim me as a friend. You can't say that you know me or that we're close and until we are in right relationship, right? So uh, that sounds obvious, but again, we have to unlearn something because the way that we have learned it in a lot of ways is very judicial. Repeat after me, say judicial. What that means is it's impersonal. It's just law-oriented, justification. And the, 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 the image is going to a courtroom right? When you go into a courtroom, you don't know your judge's name. You don't know the prosecutor's name. You don't, know, you don't know anybody's name. You just come in there. Am I guilty or not? Am I going to jail or not? Am I going to get punished or not? That's all that matters, okay? And in today's contemporary understanding of justification, it really is just judicial. Are you going to heaven or not? Are you good or bad? Are you, are you in right or are you wrong? And there's no real understanding of relationship. Back in the day, they understood that to be justified means that I have restored a relationship that I can say that I know this person. How do I, let me explain this a little bit more. The word eternal life, the word eternal life is a key word because the way we look at it today, a lot of our rhetoric, the way that we talk about justification, going to heaven, it's always this thing that's going to happen one day. One day, I'm so glad. I mean, Pastor even mentioned something earlier. He was like, aren't you glad you're not going to hell anymore? Aren't you glad that one day you're going to go to heaven? And it just becomes this idea of that one day when I die, do I go to heaven or do I go to hell? And you're thinking in terms of eternal punishment, eternal, eternal damnation or eternal joy, eternal this. And when you say eternal, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about something really far away in the future. Something about that happens thousands of years from now when Jesus comes back. But that's not the biblical understanding of eternal life. The book of John, the entire book of John, it uses the word, the phrase eternal life more than any other book. And you know how it's using it? It's using it not as a time that will come. It's talking about a quality of life, right? A quality of life, not a quantity of like one day you'll live really long, right? Not something about something that happens in the future. He's talking about today. Eternal life is some, a type of life, a quality of life that we experience today. What does a life look like when you are in good relationship with God? When you are filled with peace, when you are protected, when you have someone who leads you, that guides you, when you have somebody that loves you, when you, when you, when you, are, when you are strong, when you're secure, when you are, have clarity, when you have peace, when you have kindness, when you're able to love well, it's a quality, when you have a rich community, when you have thriving relationships, when you have a sense of purpose in life, these are the things of what eternal life looks like. Eternal life is a quality of life. And, and the, the Apostle Paul understands this. When Jesus is talking about eternal life, he's talking about quality. It's not just, and we gotta get away from this. That's something we have to unlearn. We have to get away from thinking about eternal life, salvation, justification as something that happens one day. That one day when I die, am I gonna go to heaven or hell? That is not the most important question. And it, the more that we think about it like that, the more it screws us over today. Can I, is that a bad word? I don't know. It, the more it harms us today. See, we are meant to look at eternal life, 
of the promise of eternal life in what it looks like today. John 17.3 says this, eternal life is this, that they know you, that they know you, the one true God. Did I write it down? This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Jesus makes it so clear. Eternal life is being in relationship with God. We can experience eternal life today. It's a type of life. What kinds of lives are there? There's, there's bad life, there's boring life, there's sad life, there's angry life, there's meaning, a hopeless life, and there's another kind of life. It's called eternal life. And it's the kind that we can live in today. So when we're talking about justification, we're not talking about the, the, the latter day type of things, the age to come. That is something that's going to happen. But even then, the Jews, they thought the age to come, because we know we hear that phrase a lot, the age to come. They literally thought it was going to happen any day. It was what happens when Jesus becomes king. Jesus is going to come, the age to come is going to happen. And the idea is that it has. We are in the age to come. We are in the living age where God is alive and we can have relationship with him and we can experience fruitfulness. We can experience rejuvenation. We can experience healing and freedom. And that's what eternal life is. All right? That's what eternal life is. And so covenant is best understood in the context of an active relationship. All right? Covenant is best understood Covenant is best understood as an active relationship. Not something that you will, not a promise that one day you will get this, that when you die you'll go to this place or that you won't be punished. Covenant, understanding covenant, that what we live in today is an active relationship. The picture that I get is of a father, like a father, an estranged father and son, and they've, the son has some big debt. They did something really bad to their parents and or to their dad, and they owe, him, they owe like a million dollars. And out of shame, they just run away and I can't be close to my dad. And then one day the dad comes home and he's in relationship with his son again. And it's like, I have, I've paid all the debt. I've paid it all off. And now I can be in relationship with you today. You can be in my life again. You don't have to fend for yourself. I can pay for your bills. I can find you a job. I can help you build a community. I can do all these things with you, right? That's restored relationship. But the way that it looks like today, how I'm picturing it is somebody who their father comes back into their life and wants to restore the fruitfulness of a full relationship with their father. And they're like, awesome. So you're saying I'm good with you now. And then, right, okay, cool, I'm good, I'm good. I'm gonna get my inheritance when you die. When I die, like, I'm gonna be good. Okay, cool. And then they kind of call their pastor and they're like, okay, so like, how much do I need to talk to my dad to still be in good relationship with him? Like, okay, uh, how, what exactly, how many times do I have to go to church? Okay, I gotta do that, okay, and and so what if I only do it this many times? What if I only go once a month? Can I still get my inheritance? And the father's standing right here. It's like, I'm right here. Like, I'm right here. Don't, you can talk to me. I'm not just offering you an inheritance one day. I'm saying that you can access me today, right? You can access living in relationship with me today. I can, I can buy you things. Like, I, I want to give you a new house. I, wanna, I, can, I can help restore your relationship. I can do all these things. But it's like, I'm cool. I just want... I'm just going to call my pastor and find out what's the least I can do to make sure I still get the thing that I'm going to get. All right? What's the least thing I can do? But covenant is best understood as an active relationship. And so the question that we need to ask is, am I in an active relationship with God? The question of where I'm going at the end of my life, that's not important if you can't ask the first question of, well, what am I living today? Do you want your life to be better today? Do you want your life to be rich, more full? Are you happy the way your life is going right now? It's probably not. 
because there's so much that you could have, all right? Covenant is best understood as an active relationship. So what I'm going to talk about now is the, the big picture progression of covenant throughout the Bible, okay? We're about to go really big. Entire Bible, I'm going to make this as simple as I can. Are you guys with me? Yes. This is good, right? Yes, this is going to be mind-blowing for some of you, all right? It's so simple, though. So we're talking about covenants. And there's a progression of covenants that happens throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, okay? This is the big picture of covenant. It begins with Adam. It's not, it's not explicit. There's no word covenant in the book of Genesis, but it begins with Adam, and then it moves to Abraham, and that takes that covenant further. It makes it bigger. And then it goes from Abraham to Moses, and that covenant just gets bigger, more clarified, more expanded, and that goes to David, to Jesus. Now, what you have to know is that there's one covenant that is stretching all the way through all five of these is one essential relationship because covenant is an active relationship, right? But with each stage of progression in covenant, we see different stipulations. We see start seeing different aspects. We see it get bigger. We see it get smaller. We see it get more true. But it's a progression of one thing that God is doing. And it starts at the very beginning. Let's start with Adam. So in Adam, this begins in the Genesis chapter 1. This is where we see the first covenant. Again, it's not explicit. The Bible doesn't use the word covenant in the book of Genesis, right? But when we look at what's happening, it's the same thing. It's an active relationship. One thing that I got to say this about every covenant from Adam to Abraham to, to, to Moses to David to Jesus, one thing that's consistent in every covenant, there is always grace. It always begins with grace. Covenant always begins with grace. Don't let anybody tell you that the new covenant is grace and the old, old covenant is just law. It's not how it works. Grace is from Genesis chapter 1. Every covenant has grace and they have law. Every covenant, one through, I forget, five, five covenants. Every single one begins with grace and it also has law. With Adam, what does that look like? Grace. Before God even created Adam, he spent five days creating everything for him. He creates the most beautiful, perfect, lush place. For, and then he, he like presents it to Adam as a gift. Right? I've built this beautiful world and I want you to be the ones to oversee it. And then there's a little bit of a commandment. Now go, be fruitful, multiply, take dominion over the earth. Right? And he's giving them now a commission, a law. Right? So I've given you all this. I've, I've literally created you. I've made you. I've done, I've, I've given you. You didn't earn any of this, but I'm giving you this beautiful thing, and I'm going to be in a relationship with you. And then what's my requirement? I want you to go. And I could, I could have a whole sermon just on this about how what God is doing is he's actually inviting them to do what he's just done because God was fruitful, and he multiplied, and he took, he was sovereign, and he had dominion, and then he tells them to like, do what I've done, follow in my footsteps. That's a whole different story. But he invites them to, basically, he's just saying, be like me. Just, just love, love me, and live, live happily in this beautiful garden with me. That's the law. There was law before Moses ever shows up, before the word law ever existed, there was this idea of law, okay? No, I wish I had a whiteboard. I want to go real professor on you right now of like L, L, zero, right? You know, like where it's raised, it's like L, L prime, L1, right? It's the original law. The original law was just relationship. Just trust me. Just love me. Let me love you. Let me be gracious to you. Receive my gifts and live in the Garden of Eden with me, okay? And also don't eat of the fruit of the tree. 
So there was grace and there was law and expectation. Now live in this beautiful relationship with me, all right? And then they fall. And then even when they fall, what happens? As soon as they fall, what's the first thing God does? He's walking in the cool of the garden and they're hiding because they're so ashamed because they ruined the best situation ever. They ruined it. They sinned. They, they screwed it for all mankind for the rest of history, right? But then God shows up and the first thing he says is, where are you? Why are you hiding from me? I want, like, don't hide your faces from me. And he comes to them and he finds them. And he's like, why did you hide? And yes, there's some consequences. There's some punishment, but there's grace even there, right? Say, I'm still going to come find you. Every time you feel, slip away, I'm going to come find you. And that's the momentum. That's the dynamic of the entire book of the Bible. It's God graciously loving us. And then there's a law, a relationship that he invites us into. And then there's grace that comes after. All right. So that's Adam. It's already set up this beautiful relationship. Okay. And then it gets a little bit clearer because what happens after Adam, there's a Noah and all of his horrible sons and all the whole world, like everything's, everything's falling apart and everyone's a piece of crap. Everyone's sinning. Like everyone's, it's, it's going terrible. I'm so, I should not say that. I'm so sorry, but, and, and then we get to Abraham. Okay. Abraham is the next stage because what happens is God is taking the same thing that was in Eden of just be in relationship with me. And now let me make it a little bit more clear. Let me make it a little bit more clear. I still want to have relationship, but let me explain to you what I'm looking for. Okay. I'm going to read some passages for you. Genesis 12 is God's first interaction with Abram. He says, he, t he calls him. He says, I want you to leave your, your nation in Genesis 12 and says, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now I want you to understand this. This is already echoing back to Adam because Adam was meant to take care of the entire earth. He was meant to be a blessing to all the earth. Through him, all the earth was supposed to prosper. And so God is just saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be, a, I'm going to take care of you. You're going to be so blessed. And through you, every, the whole world will be redeemed and blessed. Okay. And it goes on saying, I'll bless those who bless you. And I, and him who dishonors you, I'll curse. He's saying, I'm going to protect you. God's saying, I'm going to protect you. He's saying all these things. I'm going to do all these things for you. And in Genesis 15, there's three passages where God talks to Abram about covenant. Genesis 15 says, and then God took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Just believing in him, just trusting him, just being in relationship with him. I'm going to bless you so much. I'm only asking for one thing. Trust me. Right? And Genesis chapter 17 makes it the most clear. It's the most explicit version of that covenant. When Abram was 99 years old, and just take a moment with me. Just want to remember the sacredness of what's happening. This happened thousands of years ago, but it's something sacred, something beautiful that we experience even today, that we're seeing the traces of. We're a part of this story. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless then I will make my covenant between me and you, and you will greatly increase in numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, as for me, this my covenant with you, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. 
No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. It was a promise. It was a promise. It was a promise of blessing. I want to care for you. I want to bless you. I want to protect you. I want to prosper you. I want you to see the beautiful life that you could live. What's the one thing God asks? What's the law here? In Genesis 17, verse 1, it says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. See, already, this is way before Moses. Are you guys with me? This is before, God is already saying, I just want you to walk with me. I just want you to know me and walk with me and trust me and receive my gifts. Let me take care of you. Let me fight for you. Let me prosper you. Let me teach you. Let me help you grow. Let me give you purpose. Let me give you significance. I'm going to do everything. Walk with me and be blameless. Their law was already there. An understanding of, I want you to be in relationship with me. Right? This is Abraham. And this is the seed. This is a true clarification of what God desires for mankind. This is the heart of everything that comes in covenant. I want you to walk with me. And I want to bless you. And through you, all the earth will be blessed. It's as simple as it is. Right? Simple as it is. And then what happens? Abraham has sons, okay? You guys still with me, right? And they're all idiots, okay? All of his sons are idiots, and they all mess things up, and they just make things worse, and, and they're, they're, just, they're just screwing up everything, and they, they end up getting enslaved by the, by the Egyptians, and, and they're, now they're slaves in Egypt, and it's all gotten bad and terrible. And God is just like, God, guys, I just, I just asked one thing. I just want you to walk with me. I just want to be in relationship with you. Just walk with me. That's all I'm requiring. That's my law. Just love me. Be with me. And they couldn't do it because they're dumb, okay? Because human beings are dumb. Just as much as I, yeah, amen, please. Can I get amen? Everybody say amen. People are dumb. Anyone worked with kids? Like sometimes telling them to do something doesn't work. You got to give them clear, explicit instructions. You have to tell them, right? Yeah, adults too. Exactly. It's so frustrating sometimes. Like someone's like, hey, can you um, go take care of this? And then they didn't do it. It's like, why didn't you do this? Oh, because the door was closed. <laughs> Open the door. Oh, okay, okay, and then I'll do it. And it's like, do you need explicit instructions? And the answer is yes, okay? And so that's what God does with Moses. So all he's doing now is with an entire nation. Hey, it wasn't working because all I wanted was for you to love me and know me and trust me. Now, let me make it extremely clear of what it looks like for you in this nation right now today, for the nation of Israel to be in relationship with me. He takes covenant, the Abraham, same covenant, same promise. God's heart hasn't changed, but he's saying in the Mosaic covenant, what he's doing is making it extremely clear for this day and age, for you people, specifically you living in this time, Moses and all you Israelites. And let me make the rules very clear. And he gives 613 rules and he gives all these instructions and he gives all this stuff. Let me make it super, super clear for you. That's what the Mosaic Covenant is. It's, an ex it's, a, it's a detailed outline of just what it looks like 
to walk with God. Something that he was already asking and hoping for his people from, from Genesis chapter 1. Okay? But it was specific to a time period and to a people under Israel. And so what happens is this. In Moses, right, remember, it's the same blessing of Abraham, but the law was explicit instructions. And so now, oh, also this, the law to the people of Israel was also like, it was almost like a badge of honor. Because for them, nobody else had that same relationship with God. And so for them, it was almost like, yeah, we have the law. You guys don't have law? Oh, yeah, well, we have the law because God gave it to us. It's a way of God saying, I want to be in relationship with you. So they were proud of the fact that they had rules that other people didn't have. Isn't that weird? And Because they were so proud. For them, it was relational. It was almost like a badge of honor. It's like, oh, yeah, oh, sorry, I'm busy today. I have to go to the temple to give sacrifices. Oh, you don't do that stuff because I have the law and you don't. Right? And it's like, under, it's following the rules became a badge of honor. It almost became like a social marker, like of something that says, I'm the people of God. Okay? And so even in that, the law itself, the rules that he gave, was grace. It was God saying, let me give you something that you can know for yourselves. Every time you do these rules, every time you follow these practices, you can be like, yeah, I'm the people of God. I'm doing this. I have to do this, and it kind of sucks, but I'm also kind of proud because it shows that I'm better than other people, okay? That's literally what it is. It's like this arrogant little thing that they had. And so then the people of Israel, they had two things. They had, they had faith. They still had to have faith because they experienced grace, but they also had the law, right? When we're talking about Adam and Abraham, they both had just had grace and faith. Just trust, just trust me. Just love me. God told Abraham specifically, just walk faithfully before me. Trust me. Just faith, have faith. But then now, in Moses' time, you have, you have to have faith still. You have to believe me. You have to trust me. But now you also have to follow the law because this is exactly how what it means to live with me. Okay? Are you guys still with me? This is, this is important teaching, all right? And so what happens is that you would think that now with these explicit instructions, with these super detailed, rich, you know, manual of how to just be in relationship with God, that they would be good. But it doesn't work out, okay? Because they're idiots. Again, people are idiots and it gets worse and worse and worse. And I mean, we know the story. This is what happens. This is the story of all between Exodus and to the end, like all the way up to it just, people keep messing up. The whole book of Judges is just about people getting worse and worse and messing up and being stupid and not following the rules and forgetting the law and coming back to it and, and again and again, and they have all these kings. And then what happens is that God is like, okay, now's a time to start making a shift because the Mosaic law clearly is not working because it, it's not enough for you to have explicit instructions, right? Let me, let me start bringing it back to what really matters. And in King David, he started showing something, bringing it back to what really matters. So the, the, the law started off with Adam and uh, Abraham, and then in Moses it expanded. It got very specific. And then in King David, he brings it back. He brings it back. And in King David, let me, let's read this. This is the covenant God had with King David. In 2 Samuel verse seven, or chapter 7, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up for your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. 
and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. The Davidic covenant has two, two aspects. The first is this. It's one that you will have a throne forever. It's a promise that God makes to David saying, you will be a king in your line. There will always be a throne, right? And what's he doing? He's saying to experience the Abraham promise, the Abraham blessing, the same thing as Moses, right? Even though the whole nation couldn't do it, I'm going to bring it back through a king. And the king is going to reign. And through the king, the good king, it's going to all get better, okay? That's the first part. But the second part is this, is that God is reintroducing something. Or he's introducing something that has never been heard before. And it's God saying, and that king, he'll be my son. The king will be my son. I know that nowadays we use the word son. I'm a son of God. I'm a child of God. We use it very flippantly. But back in the day, nobody would ever dare to think that I'm not a child of God. I worship him. I'm, that would be th that's very arrogant for me to think that I would ever be a child of God. But God begins to make this promise because God is bringing covenant back. Hey, you guys have forgotten my desire for you, my desire for covenant with my people is that you would be my sons, that you would experience being my child. You've made it all about these rules and all about this kingdom, and I tried to make that work, but it didn't work. It only made things worse. But let me bring it back, and I want to bring it back to being a son again. And the last aspect of the covenant is this. It's the salt. Second Chronicles talks about a covenant of salt. And what he's saying is that, I will preserve you. Salt pre pre keeps things from point, uh, going bad, right? I will preserve you. Even when things get really bad, I'm still going to protect you, and I'm going to bring you back. That's what happens to the nation of Israel. They get, they get conquered. They, get, they go into exile. But God says, I have not forgotten my covenant of salt. I will protect you. And they come back to the, they come back to the land, homeland, right? And that's what Jesus begins to experience later on in his life, the covenant of salt. So finally, we're done with King David, and we get to Jesus. Things have all gone down the drain. Everything is horrible. And at its very lowest point, at the very lowest point when everything is lost, when nobody is walking with God, and you still have all these Pharisees who are holding on for dear life to the Mosaic law. Because in their minds, this is our way. They're, this is the only thing we have to be proud of. This is how we know that we're in relationship with God. This is how we know that we can walk with God. We have these rules, and we have to follow these. And this is what it's going to do. And this is what makes me Jewish. This is what makes me the people of God. This is how I know God loves me, that I'm doing all these things. And this is how I show the world that I'm special, all right? And at their lowest, when they're in their crummiest time in their life, in, in, in all of history, they were like at the bottom of the rung. Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up and he changes everything. And first, he becomes the son that, that God was talking about in 2 Samuel 7, right? And God says to him when he gets baptized, this is my son. And everybody who heard that would have been like, did he just say that's his son? We've been waiting for a king that would, God would say, this is my son, right? And so he becomes, and he becomes that king. And then in Jesus, there's fulfillment. And I, I don't want to spend too much time here because it's, it, it makes, this is something we've heard a million times, that in Jesus, he's coming back. But what he's doing is fulfilling the law, and he's taking away the Mosaic law, all right? He's saying, I have fulfilled the Mosaic law, and I'm bringing it back to the true heart of covenant, Right? Because before Moses, there was still law. Right? Say, say law. Repeat after me. Say law. law. There was always law. What was the law before? Walk faithfully before me. It was a heart issue. 
It was a heart thing. I want you to love me. I want you to know me. I want you to trust me. I want you to walk with me. I want you to believe in me. And what Jesus is doing is he's bringing it back. He's saying it is no longer about the Mosaic law. It's about the law of the heart again. I'm, bringing, I'm, I'm, I'm wiping away the Mosaic law because that was important for the time of the people of Moses and for now. Right? And I lived it. I was this. But now we're entering a new age and a new covenant, a new covenant, the new covenant in Jesus Christ that says, hey, the Mosaic covenant is done, but now we will experience the Abrahamic covenant, the same covenant, right? The covenant of all mankind. That was in Adam, that was in Abraham, that was expanded in Moses, and it was clarified in King David. In the new covenant, we all get to experience the covenant of Abraham again. Okay, I know this is getting real kind of heady, but you're still hanging with me? So through Jesus, we get to skip, basically, all the Moses stuff and go straight to Abraham, where he says, walk faithfully before me, and I will bless you. This is what I've always wanted. This is what I've always wanted. I just want you to walk with me, know me, let me love you, and love me back. And I'm bringing it back to that. Okay, that's what Jesus does. I, I do want to talk really quick about, because that doesn't mean that the whole Old Testament, all the Mosaic law is useless. What Jesus does is he does three things. I'm going to just take two seconds to talk about this. And he acts as a filter, as a lens, and as a prism. So when he talks about the Mosaic law, he's doing three things. He's acting as a filter, a lens, and a prism. Filter means he's, t he's sifting things out that no longer need to be there, like, you know, the sacrifice, the food laws. He's saying, hey, this is what it used to be, but we don't need that anymore. Okay, he's filtering the old things out. Because what he's trying to do is help us get back to the true law. Not Mosaic law, but true law of the heart. It's not about the food laws. It's not about this. He's getting rid of some things. Lens is he's clarifying some things. Because like something like... like uh, like Sabbath, it's become something that it's not meant to be. It used to be about rest and about trusting God and, and honoring him, but now you've made it about like showing off. And so he, what he does is he lends, he's like, no, you've missed the point. The point of Sabbath was to trust in God and to love God and to be a, a source of mercy, right? And, or even oaths. And talking about oaths, back in the day they would say like, oh, I can, I, they actually thought that they could kind of lie as long as they didn't make an oath. Right? Because it's like, well, I didn't swear I was going to do it. So I didn't swear on God, that, therefore I didn't do anything wrong. And then Jesus is saying, you're missing the point. And so in Matthew 5, he talks about this. Don't say, don't swear to God anymore. Don't, don't, just let your yes be yes. Be honest. Stop lying. Be honest. Like, so he's clarifying. That's all he's doing. He's kind of taking away all the rules and just what's the heart of the issue? And then prism is this, is where he takes the law and he elevates it. And he makes it actually even in more intense. He takes it to its extreme, right? He's saying, you know, in the law says don't murder, but I'm saying don't even hate anybody. You know, the law says don't have adultery, don't commit adultery, but I'm saying don't even lust. I'm you know, I say be nice to people. I'm not saying don't be nice to people. I'm saying love your enemies. He takes, he, don't just forgive seven times, forgive unlimited times, right? And what he's doing is that he's He's elevating it, okay? And so what he does, the whole point of it, though, is all just to bring it back. Guys, stop holding on to the old. Stop holding on to what you knew, gave you security and comfort, and now I'm showing you a new way, and it's a way of the heart, okay? You guys good with me? So that was, the, uh, that was an overview of covenant, and that's why we understand the Mosaic covenant. We don't follow any of those rules just because they're there. We don't follow rules that are in the Old Testament in the Old Testament because they're there. 
The point of it is that the point of it is that our hearts are faithfully walking before God. All those laws, they help to clarify things. They help us understand who God is. But every time we look at the law, if any of you are going to study the Bible after this, I want you to go back and every time you read a law in the Old Testament, read it with a, through the filter, the lens, and the prism of Jesus. Okay? That's just a little Bible study tool. We'll talk about that another time. But now I want to get back to Galatians. Okay? So with the context of covenant, I'm just going to read through this, and I think it'll make a little different sense, okay? It should be clear as we read. I'm going to read through the rest of the chapter. So know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. That's verse 7. And Scripture, foreseeing God, would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, right? This is Paul bringing it back to Abraham, skipping Moses, going through to the heart of things. And it says in verse 10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law and do them. See, and he's talking about the people who have, are under the Mosaic law. They have to have faith and the law to be right before God. And he's saying, Those, those days are over. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Even from Abraham, right? Even from Abraham, they were living by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Right? He's referring again to the people in Moses' time who had to live under the law and by faith. But, but the people of Abraham, which is everybody, shall live by faith. The one who does them shall live by faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That was Jesus. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus is bringing us back to the promise and the covenant of Abraham. To the covenant of Abraham goes on, to give a human example, brothers, even with the man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. It does not say to the offsprings, referring to the many, but referring to the one, to your offspring, who is Christ. All Paul, so Paul is saying there is, guys, it's about Jesus. Even back when Abraham's day, I was looking forward to Jesus. And this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years after Abraham, does not annul the covenant. He's saying the Abraham covenant is still the point. This is still the heart of, the, 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 the heart of covenant. is about Abraham, about walking faithfully before God and being a blessing to the world. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it is no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgression, right? Because the people were messing up. They couldn't get it right. Okay, they clearly don't know how to walk faithfully before God. Let me give the law. But the law was given until the offspring, until Jesus would come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. All he's saying here is, is that the law was something that was supposed to teach us how to walk faithfully with God, but it was only there until the one came and we would learn how to walk with God by the Spirit. All right? Now, in verse 23, we're getting to the end. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. 
For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. All right, family. Can everybody stand to your feet? We're going to wrap it up. Let me, in a few sentences, just, what is Apostle Paul saying here? What he's saying is this. He's saying, he's saying, I want to bring it back to the heart of things. I want to bring it back to what really matters. I want to bring it back to what God has always wanted from the very beginning. I want to walk with you. I don't want you to just be a rule follower. I don't want you to be just someone who's trying to fit in and just try to get by. I want you to know me and I want you to walk with me and I want you to love me. I want to actually be able to look at you face to face and I want you to be able to experience the goodness of being in a relationship with me. I want you to experience eternal life. I want you to experience the fullness of what it means to be loved by God. And I want you to experience what it looks like to live a life that is in line with the will of God, with purpose and fullness and living in a thriving community. And all this, this is what I've always wanted for you guys. This is what I've always wanted. And I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to bring it back to that. That's what God wanted for Adam. That's what God wanted for Abraham. That's what he was trying to get at with Moses. That's what he was bringing it back to with King David. And now in the new covenant, by the Holy Spirit, I can walk with you. Let's walk together. Let's walk together. But coming back to this, unlearning. I wish it were as simple as just, oh, God wants to walk with me. I'm going to start walking with him. It starts off really simple that way. But as you go, you start realizing, you bump into things. Things come up. You, you buck up, right? You get angry. You get irritated. You get, you get frustrated. And you, you do these things that you don't even know why you do them. It's, it's, you're, you're frustrated with yourself. Like, why do I act like that? Why do I still do that? Why do I still go back to these things? Why do I still go back to these lifestyles or these behaviors? It doesn't have to be some crazy hedonistic, like, why do I go back to drugs? Why do I go back to drinking? It's, it doesn't have to be that. It can be like, why do I get so angry? Why am I so impatient? Why am I so mean to my kids? Why, am I, why do I yell at my mom? Why do I fight so much? Why do I get so irritated? Why, do I get so, why am I so sensitive? Why do I have such a big ego? It's all of these things. And what God is doing, he's helping us let go of the old. He's helping us let go of the old. He's bringing it back to the Abrahamic covenant. He's bringing it back to the promise, the promise of blessing, of just walking with him. And he's saying, let go of all that Mosaic Covenant stuff. Let go of all the rules. Let go of all the laws. I know that those things used to make you feel secure. They used to make you feel like safe. They used to make you feel whatever, like proud of yourself. Let go of those things. You have something new. Now for them, it was hard. It was hard because that was all they knew. That was all they had. That's how they were raised. You're telling me to let go of how my parents raised me? This is, how, this is what I know to be true. This is what I've experienced. This is what I've lived. But for, for that was for them. For us, we're not Jewish people. Nobody, who here is Jewish? Do we have any? That'd be cool. But for us, there are still old things that we used to live in. 
there are still old ways of thinking that God is calling us to walk out of. To, and it's not just like, oh, I don't want to believe that anymore. It's something you have to like, you have to tear out of you sometimes. You have to rip it out. You have to fight it. You have to come at it with, with, a, with, with, with some anger, with some frustration. I don't want to believe those things anymore. I don't want to live that way. And these things, they're the things that keep us from living that life of walking with God. I want everybody to close your eyes right now. You cannot receive the fullness of the promise of God. You cannot receive the fullness of everything that God wanted for us, all the way from Adam to Abraham. The fullness of walking with him, of living in his blessing, and of being a blessing. You cannot do that until you unlearn the old. Until you get rid of the old things. And you will, I'm just telling you, you're going to spend the rest of your life unlearning, finding, digging up, uprooting. You got to do some weeding in your heart, weeding out the old beliefs, weeding out the old behaviors, weeding out those old things you used to believe. I know this is hard to get your mind around, but let me give you a few examples of the things that we can unlearn. And as I'm speaking, as I'm sharing a couple of examples, think of in your own heart, what are the things that I need to unlearn in order to receive the fullness of what God is calling me to walk in? The fullness of eternal life. I had a friend who was sharing. He's a successful businessman. He's a CEO of a tech company, a small company. And, and he was saying, every time I see somebody, another company, another business doing better than me, making more money than me, I feel bad about myself. I feel like I'm a failure. And he's like, I don't know where that comes from. And I was like, let's think about it. And he's like, and what we dug down, we dug down into those roots. Is I grew up my whole life, my parents comparing me to other people. And I always thought, you're only good if you're doing better than the people around you. His value was always measured by comparison. And he was realizing, I need to unlearn that belief that my value is not relative to the person next to me. My value is inherent in who I am. How many of you still struggle with that? You're comparing yourself to other people. I had another friend, I, I want to share Jade in a little bit, and he was sharing about how, you know, he's had a long life, he's experienced a lot, but he was part of a ministry that, where he learned some things that, it's a great ministry, but we learned some things that are damaging. And one thing that he really ingrained in his body, not just before the ministry, it was, it was in his whole life, it's that you're not wanted. Nobody wants you. Nobody wants you until you're like a superstar. Nobody thinks that you're great. Nobody likes you. Nobody cares about you. Nobody's going to value you until you're a real superstar. And that sounds so silly. But deep down, I'm so thankful that Jaden was able to be honest. I still believe that in my heart. Even though I know it's not true, I still believe it in my heart that until I'm great, until I'm awesome, until I'm doing all these super Christian things, then, nobody, then God doesn't want me. And he's still working through that. I want to unlearn these old beliefs. I am not only wanted when I do these great things, when I'm living this perfect Christian life. God wants me even at my lowest. And he has to unlearn that old belief. Some people have the feeling that you're not safe until you have no flaws. 
until you work so hard to fix yourself and you keep trying to fix yourself. I gotta be better, I gotta be better, you gotta be better because if I'm not, I'm gonna mess up, I'm gonna get in trouble and people are gonna be, I'm gonna embarrass myself, I'm gonna humiliate myself and you keep trying to fix yourself, you keep trying to fix yourself even when you know that that's not how the gospel works. But you can't help it because you, still, you grew up that way your entire life. Your, your grandma, your parents, your friends, they told you you're not good enough. Oh, this is wrong with you. You got to work on this. Why are you so this? Why are you so, why are you standing like that? Why are you chewing like that? And so you always feel like the need to need to fix yourself. And you learn these things. But the invitation of God, the invitation of God is, can you let go of the old? But we cannot let go until you first identified it. Right? And that's the hard work of sanctification, of God showing you ways that you are still living in an old lie, in an old belief, in an old truth. And he's inviting us to let go. Amen? So we're going to pray together, family. I'm going to close this in prayer. And um, uh, maybe we'll sing a song or something, but I'm going to close this in prayer. Just before I close, just take a minute with me. And ask God right now. Say, God, would you reveal to me the ways that I'm still living in old beliefs? Thank you, Lord. a question for you. Are there any behaviors that you still do that you don't understand where it comes from? You keep trying to fix it. You keep trying to fix it. You keep start trying to stop being angry. Stop being impatient. Stop getting uh, snappy. Stop cussing. Stop gossiping. You, you, but you can't seem to stop. I want you to stop trying to fix yourself and ask God, God, show me what's the belief that I'm still holding on to that makes me do that. What's the old way of thinking that I'm still living in? Would you just commit yourself for a moment? Say, God, I want to commit to the hard work of uprooting, uprooting all the lies, all the old beliefs. I want to call it out. I want to shine a light and I want to rip it out of my heart. I don't want to believe in those things. God, give me the courage to fight the good fight of, of unlearning the old so I can receive the new. Yeah. And the measure of that is this. If right now, with your eyes closed, if you can look up, and you can look at God face to face. And if you can just receive his goodness, if you can just receive his love, receive the fullness of his blessing and the experience of being in relationship with him. If there's anything holding you back, it's God saying that there's still things that you're holding on to, things you need to unlearn until you can receive my fullness. So Father, I thank you. I thank you for the beautiful story of Scripture, a story that is traversing millennium, thousands of years, 
But from the very beginning, what you've always wanted is so simple, Lord. It's just to walk with us, just to look at us face to face, to love us, and for us to receive your love and to love you back, Lord, and to walk faithfully before you. What you've always wanted for us is that sweet relationship to pour into us, God. And so, God, we want to fight for that. God, I just pray that every single person in here, Lord, will be able to experience the fullness, fullness, Lord, of the Abrahamic promise that we could walk with you, walk faithfully before you, Lord. Would you continue to show us ways that we still hold on to the old ways of thinking, the legalistic ways of thinking, that even us as Gentiles, even us as, as Christians, as church people, ways that we're still so legalistic, ways that we, we function and we live in ways and we raise our kids and we, we treat our friends and our family in ways that are not true to how, how we're meant to live in you, Lord. Would you give us that grace, Lord? Thank you, Jesus. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray.